Well, we are continuing with our Mark's Gospel series, Eyewitness News, and I'm having a lot of trouble this weekend because the title for the message is The Cult Peacemaker. The Cult Peacemaker. And I announced this in chapel, and then there was much abuse and indeed, I believe, uh, racism, frankly, against my Britishness because uh, I, I have trouble with pronouncing this word the way you pronounce it, cult, cult peacemaker. To pronounce it in the American way requires me to open my mouth widely, which I'm not used to doing, as I'm sure you'll guess. The cult peacemaker. Mark 11 and verse 1, forgive the pronunciation. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you doing this, say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went in and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people were standing there and asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. I, I mentioned turkey bowling as being a bit of a kind of frankly weird thing, really. But I really have no grounds to uh, say such a thing because we Brits have some of the most utterly ridiculous ceremonies that you could possibly uh, think of. For example, I've mentioned it before, every year we have the state opening of Parliament when Her Majesty the Queen goes to the House of Lords, we have the House of Lords, the House of Commons, and she delivers the Queen's speech to the gathered members there. Um, she didn't write the speech, somebody else did, but that's not important right now. And what happens is that uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Black Rod uh, who is uh, dressed in medieval costume and um, black pantyhose, not, not our usual fashion choice. He is dispatched by the Queen. She nods at him, and he goes to the lower chamber, to the House of Commons, and we ceremonially then slam the door in his face. Take a look. Ceremonially slam the door in his face. We do it every year. We'll do it again next year. It is, as you might have picked up from the very British commentator, <clears throat> it is to demonstrate the supremacy of Parliament. You see, back in 1649, King Charles I tried to take over Parliament and control it, and we didn't like that. So uh, we got a court together, and we sentenced him to death, uh, we allowed him to take one of his uh, spaniels for a walk, and then we took him out to a balcony, which I could still show you in London, and we gave him a really radical haircut, starting here. <laughs> and we cut off his head, and for 11 years, Britain did not have a king or a queen. 
Britain was governed by a man called Oliver Cromwell. Uh, Oliver Cromwell was, became the Lord Protector of England. I think we have a photograph, uh, or not a photograph, because iPhones were in shortage at that point, but uh, a painting of Oliver uh, Cromwell. He was a Puritan and a bit of a misery, quite frankly. He closed theatres down. Sports were banned. Uh, ladies, if you were caught wearing makeup in England, the Puritan police would come and scrub that from your face. And uh, they, it, this guy even banned Christmas because he thought that people were having way too much fun. And so Christmas became uh, illegal. And then 11 years, uh, or a number of years later, he died, and another king came to the throne. Two and a half to three years after this man died, we decided we didn't like him. So get this, everybody. We dug him up and hanged him. Yeah. We hanged him, and then we cut off his head, and we displayed it in London for 25 years. I mean, don't mess with me, people. <laughs> Why did that happen? It all happened because of a bad king. A bad king. As we look at this episode together today, we are seeing Jesus the good king, the king like no other, the triumphal entry as we know it, it's described by all four gospel writers with different camera angles on this very important moment. Jesus had been zigzagging across the land for about nine months before this episode took place. He had ministered in 35 different localities. Most recently, as those of you who were here last weekend will know, he had gone through Jericho, and it was there. Do you remember Pastor Darry talked about this last weekend? He had healed blind Bartimaeus. Now the, 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 the tension is, is, is gaining, it's, it's, it's heightening, because Passover is coming up in Jerusalem, and everybody in Jerusalem is talking about Jesus. And then as he gets closer to Jerusalem, he comes to a little town on the outskirts, Bethany. Remember, at Bethany, it was there that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, understandably, when you're a dead guy, who was not only dead but stinky with it, the Bible tells us, when you reappear, people kind of are interested in you. And he'd become a local celebrity. But this was stirring things up. John 12 says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. You see, there is a sense of heightened tension in Jerusalem. Everybody is talking about Jesus. They believed that a Messiah figure would come, head for Jerusalem, and overthrow the hated Romans. So was this it? Was this the revolution? Everyone is talking. Notice, too, if you've followed along with us in this series, that up until now, we've watched what is known by the theologians as the Markan secret. In other words, Jesus would do something epic and then say, don't tell anyone. Why? Because he's working to a chronology here. He's working to a strategy. More about that in a moment. But now he doesn't silence the crowds or his disciples. Now they're crying out 
and he's going public. This is a junction moment. So what do we learn as we look at Jesus this weekend, this great and good king? The first thing, if you're following in the bulletin, is that integrity and thoughtfulness is here. Integrity, it's a portrait of integrity and thoughtfulness. The details matter. Integrity and thoughtfulness, the details matter. Jesus says about this donkey, if anyone asks you why are you doing this, say, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. The word colt or donkey I discovered this week comes from the Greek word sheviusin, uh, from which we get our word Chevy or Chevrolet. I made that up. I just made, just, just, just made that up. Thanks to those of you that were writing that down furiously. Thank you. Cross that out. I made that up to get your attention because it was just like someone taking your Chevy. Because this was an animal of transportation. Imagine you're at your house and you go outside, there's a couple of guys breaking into your car. And you say, you say, excuse me, it's my car. And they say, yes, but the Lord needs it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You carry on taking my car, you're going to meet the Lord that needs it. <laughs> it was just the same. But it's wonderful. Jesus, in this amusing but beautiful moment, he says, all right, tell him that it's going to be returned. Hold on a minute. He's about to go to the cross. He's a man on death row, and he says, no, it's okay. You'll get it back. Isn't it true that when we're under pressure, our integrity can suffer? I'm too busy to worry about that stuff. But here is Jesus with the weight of the world on his shoulders, and he says, don't worry, you're going to get the animal back. Now, sometimes as Christians, we're not that great with integrity. Shouldn't we be known as the people who tell the truth? Shouldn't we be known as the people who pay their bills on time? How is it? I wondered about telling you this, but... When I travel sometimes to other churches, I, I write books. That's part of what I do. It's, it's God's will that you buy those books. And <laughs> just kidding. Do you know something? Every now and again, I go to a church, and my books are there on the table, and they disappear. They disappear because someone has decided that they're going to steal a Christian book. Hello? I mean, I don't know what goes on in their mind. Do they say, oh, the Lord wants, the, you know, the, the Lord wants me to have this. I'll, I'll pay for it later. Are we people of integrity? Secondly, there's victory through submission here. Victory through submission. Obedience when it's tough. Obedience when it's tough. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Now, Let's understand that this was very, very deliberate. 500 years earlier, the prophet Zechariah had prophesied that Messiah would ride into Jerusalem as a peace bringer on a colt. Zechariah 9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I also noticed not only was it prophetic, 
But uh, did you notice as well that this donkey had never been ridden on before by any human being? And that, frankly, terrifies me. I know I live in Colorado. I'm wearing the boots. I know a lot of you people are really good with horses. I, however, am not, for they do not come equipped with a steering wheel <laughs> or brakes, more importantly. So the very idea of riding an animal that's not been broken in, that would not appeal to me. But Jesus is riding a donkey. It was considered to be a royal beast up until David's reign. Why was he doing that? Well, it had been prophesied. And then, again, 750 years earlier, Isaiah had prophesied that he would come as the prince of peace. But know this. When he did that, he was putting himself out there for trouble knowing that the assassination plots were already abounding. Jesus was obedient to his prophetic mandate when it cost him. Brothers and sisters, there are times when obeying God is costly. I'm challenged by that. I think about our young people. I think about uh, those who are single, who are making clear choices about the way they live their lives with moral purity. Isn't it true that in a culture where the Virgin Mary is respected, sometimes anyone who's 20 plus who puts the, word, the V word in front of their name is derided by Hollywood? Sometimes it can be tough. Sometimes you just have to obey Jesus when it's really difficult. She would not like me to say this, but um, I, I didn't get her permission because forgiveness is easier sometimes than permission. But I was chatting with Gwen Novak this morning, our lovely missionary to Guatemala and Peru, served out there for decades. What an amazing woman. She might be in this service. Gwen, I'm really sorry to embarrass you. I'm not going to get you to stand up. When I'm around Gwen, I feel like I'm around royalty. Why? Because she's paid the price. Doesn't just talk about it. It's been tough. But she's served God's purposes. Do we obey God? And let's realize that obeying him is purposeful. It's for our benefit. He knows the best way. It's for the benefit of the people of God. But do we obey him when it's tough? Thirdly, thirdly, there's compassion that catalyzes sacrifice. Compassion that catalyzes sacrifice. He cared, so he rode into town. Hosanna, they cried out. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It, it's wonderful. But then right in the middle of this, Jesus starts to weep. Now, you have to turn to Luke to find out about that. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, by the way, the road to Jerusalem dipped down so that for a while you wouldn't be able to see it. And then it rises up and you come over the top of a hillside and you see the whole city spread out beneath you. Probably at that moment this happened. He saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The, day will, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will, leave, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Forty years later it happened. 
The Roman leader Titus encircled the city, built embankments against it. They were tossing bodies across the top of the wall. The population was starving. And in this prophetic moment, Jesus saw that and burst into tears. The Greek word means a loud sobbing. He cared. I don't know how to care like that. Are you like me? Sometimes you kind of end up with compassion overload. Where we're so bombarded with images and stories of need that after a while, without realizing it, we can almost become impervious. All I can think is that I want to say, God, give me your heart. Give me a heart for this city. Give me a heart for this nation, for the world. If we're going to reach our neighbors, it better be because we care about them, because they don't want to be our evangelistic projects. They don't care how much we know. They want to know how much we care. And compassion was powerfully expressed here. Fourthly, there's worship here. Worship that's expressive. That's the fourth thing. The stones will cry out. They're calling out Hosanna in the highest heaven. There's a, there's a big party going on in Jerusalem. It's Passover time. Uh, we had a party in England this last week. I wasn't there, of course, but November the 5th, I've mentioned it before, is Guy Fawkes Day in England. It's uh, the only time when the British let off fireworks. No, we do not send up fireworks on the 4th of July <laughs> because we lost. <laughs> We're over it now. <laughs> now, November the 5th is weird. It's Guy Fawkes Day. This dude, Guy Fawkes, he tried to blow up the Houses of Parliament, so we executed him too. And uh, you know what happens? And I've only realized in the last year the madness of this. What we do is we, we get together, we eat hot dogs, and we fire off fireworks. And then we make a guy, we make an effigy of Guy Fawkes with a mask. And then in this happy family gathering, we put the guy on the fire. And we burn him. And I've only just figured out, it's amazing what you do in your culture, unthinkingly, I've been on this earth for 35 years and I never realized. Come on, children, let's reenact an execution together. What a fun, fun, fun thing that will be. Party, see? Well, Passover was party, party. I said that in one church, they thought I said potty. <laughs> Party. <laughs> Hosanna! It's a political term, means save us now. They, they thought he was the military messiah. Blessed is he! They saw the donkey. Blessed is he! Connected it with David, comes to the city of David. They're, they're excited. And then the disciples get with the program too. They start shouting, Luke 19. They're, they're, all, they're all yelling as well. And the religious barons start to complain because religious barons tend to get irritated when people get excited. I told the boys to be quiet. And Jesus says, if they don't, if they don't speak up, the very stones would cry out. Listen, folks, let me, let me talk to us as a pastor here. 
In Timberline Church, I think and believe our worship leaders do a great job. And one of the things that I appreciate about being here is that you're never going to get manipulated into worship. There's a difference between being led in worship and manipulated. How many know what I'm talking about? Has anyone ever been in one of those Christian services where the worship leader is a terrifying soul? And they say, all right, everybody, everyone raise your hands right now. Everyone clap right now. Everyone shout right now. We're free here. Oh, yeah? I, I like that we're not into that. Um, we, want to, we want you to be comfortable in your worship, but let me define that. Comfortable in the sense that you know you're not going to be manipulated, but listen. Not comfortable in the sense of being complacent. Because worship always has at its heart sacrifice giving, expression. And I know, I get it, we express that in different ways. And some of us, we come in here and we love to raise our hands, and some of us don't. And it's not required. But what does matter is that we, however we do it, we do engage. And stylistically, that can be different. When I was back in England years ago, I was part of a church, everyone danced. You should have seen me dancing. Like John Travolta with my feet on fire. It was... Not a happy sight. But I don't want to be part of a church where everyone's told what you've got to do, how you've got to do it. But I want to be part of a church where when we come to worship, we come to bring our sacrifice of praise. Well, the fifth thing, the final thing, is that there is strategy that leads to service here. Strategy that leads to service. Reflection and timing matters. You could almost miss this, but it's kind of important, I think. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. I think that's interesting. Jesus is about to make a powerful prophetic statement in the temple. But he gets there, and he looks around, and it's late. So he, you know what he does? He says, I'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> Because he's not just reacting to what he sees, he's responding to it. I, I mentioned Christmas earlier. I've already decided some of my New Year's resolutions. I've already made those. I am going to give up playing the bassoon. I am going to cut back on my learning of the Indonesian language. And I'm going to quit running marathons. I am committed to those three. <laughs> oh, yeah. And one of the reasons that they're easy is because I've never touched a bassoon, run a marathon, or done the third thing that I can't even remember right now. <laughs> but I have actually come up with one resolution. I'm serious. I made it yesterday while walking in the snow. I will be more reflective in 2013. I want to be more reflective than reactive because here's what I've learned about my life. Most of the problems that I've had in my life or have in my life have been because I reacted rather than reflected. I just said, yeah, yeah, sure. 
I engaged my mouth while my brain was stuck in neutral. I got that email. Do you remember the days when you used to, you know, back in the Victorian era where you used to get letters? Do you remember that? And you had time, didn't you, to process and write a response. But now that email lands in your email inbox and it irritates you and you say, write, reply. And then, fatefully, you maneuver the mouse, previously a small animal, <laughs> not today, over the send button. And you do this, which messes up your life. Watch for I shall perform this in slow motion. And now at full speed. <laughs> no! <laughs> if you just waited, counted to 10,000, I want to respond rather than react. It's what Jesus did. Let's pray. Lord, as we, as we consider this beautiful episode, we thank you that you came as the good king. You come as the good king. And we prayerfully want to respond. Lord, we, uh, we want to be people of integrity who under pressure take care of the details. And we ask you, we reflect on our lives right now where what seem to be small issues are suddenly glaring we pray, Lord, that our lives in private will reflect our public professions of faith. We want to obey you when it's difficult to obey you. We don't want to obey you when we feel like it or when we necessarily see the sense of what you're asking from us. We want to submit to you. We thank you that your way is the best way. We want, Lord, to be people who really care. As we see you weeping over a city, we dare to ask you to give us your heart. Give us your heart. Give us a passion, a real compassion for those around us. We as a congregation want to be a people who bring worship to you. And we don't want to limit that to a particular style or expression. We don't want to elevate volume over silence. But we do want to bring a sacrifice of praise. And we realize in this particular passage of Scripture, there, 
there was a volume that was offensive. Help us to praise you, however we do that. And we want to be people of strategy and reflection. We don't want to react. Save us, Lord, from the damage that we do when we react. Alarm us. Let us know, Lord, please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, when we're about to do something that just seems to make sense in the heat of the moment, but actually is potentially hugely damaging for us and for others and for your name. As our heads are bowed, I want to ask two questions, and one of them needs a response. It's the second one, but let me get to the first question. I've just been challenged as I've seen this beautiful portrait of Jesus riding into Jerusalem, the bringer of peace. And it's challenged me, when I show up, is there peace? Do I usher in peace or conflict? Now, there's a time to disagree. There's a time to provoke. There's a righteous agi agitation. I'm not talking about that kind of vanilla compliancy. But some of us know that when we show up, arguments tend to start. Conflict seems to gather where we go. Am I a bringer of peace? And we reflect on that. And Lord, you, the Holy Spirit, who comes like a dove, the symbol of peace, we pray that in our comings and our goings and in our workplaces and our friendships and our families and our church, that we might be bringers of peace so that in a different sense, when we show up, people might kind of think, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is she who comes in the name of the Lord. Here's the second question, and as our heads are bowed, it, it does perhaps require an answer. I wonder how many of us today <clears throat> would like to welcome Jesus, the Prince of Peace, into their lives for the first time. Maybe you're not a Christian, and you've been waiting for him to ride into town and kick the door in. And you've been waiting with some big explosion. Yeah, I'll get round to that. But he comes quietly. He comes humbly. He waits to be wanted. He invites us to invite him. And over the course of this weekend, there have been a number of people who have made that choice to say, yeah, Jesus, I, I want to know you. I want to invite you into my life. I want to be a Christian. If that's true for you, as I just look around, as our heads are bowed, would you just slip your hand up for a moment, please, so I can see it? Would you do it now? It's your way of saying, Prince of Peace, come into my life. And I look around and I see people responding. Thank you for doing that. Right where you are, in your heart, just say, just in your heart, Lord, come, save me now. Rescue me. I invite you to take charge of my life. Be Lord, be Savior. You died on the cross for me. I invite you to rule and reign in my life. I turn my life over to you from now on. That's what a Christian is, someone who's made that choice. So reveal yourself, Lord, we pray, to those who are responding to you.
we agree together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Can I say to those of us who just raised their hands, there were a number of us, uh, in a few minutes at the end of this service, there will be some folks standing around at the, pr at the front here. They're members of our prayer team. But we have something we would love to give to you it's free. It will help you on that beginning journey to, as you are making that choice to become a Christian. Please, can I ask this from you? Would you take the time before you dash out here? Just come and talk to one of these folks. They're waiting to meet you and, uh, and get that little piece of literature that will help you. Well, we're going to continue our hosannas now our worship to God we're going to give in our offering thank you Timberline family for your faithfulness in giving if you're a guest with us you don't need to give in the offering but please put that connection card in if you would we're going to sing and we're going to give and uh, as we uh, do so uh, ushers begin uh, to receive all of this is part of our our worship our response to the Prince of Peace